0: Welcome to Conversations from the Couch from Lifestance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging and informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations from the Couch by Lifestance Health. I'm Nikki Leanza. And on today's episode, I'll be talking with Jeff Shavy, therapist and director of community-based services at our Lifesense Minneapolis office, about how trauma affects foster youth. So welcome, Jeff. Nice Thank to have you. you on. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Let me you a statistic I found, um, and this is according to a study by the National Library of Medicine, Youth in foster care have high rates of trauma exposure and these exposure rates approach 90%. So we know that foster youth are also significantly more likely than the general population to have directly experienced like violence themselves, specifically abuse and or neglect. So I think this is key to why we're having this conversation today as well, just seeing those high rates of trauma exposure for sure. So again, thank you being on Jeff and let's kick off. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: That sounds good. That sounds good. Thank you for giving that stat as well just to underline the importance of this. Um, it's something that trauma has kind of moved to the forefront I'd say in the last um, you know in Minnesota. I'd say in the last 10 years we've I've seen that shift or we've seen that shift um, to focus more on it. So great opportunity, great topic to, to speak on today. Um, with regards to myself, so I've been with um, this company in in Minnesota, which formerly was Family Innovations, is now LifeStance for the last 16 years, um, and have been in a position of director of community-based services for the last two years now, just over two years at this point. Um, but have moved to LifeStance, or we transitioned to LifeStance last year, so relatively new to um, this uh, this company, but I'm enjoying it so far. So,
0: great, great. And I understand there's a very specific program you have out of your office that is called the Intensive Treatment Foster Care Program. Can you tell us a little bit about that program?
1: Yeah, for sure. So the state of Minnesota, I'm going to say five to 10 years ago, I'm not I'm a little fuzzy on the dates, but about five to 10 years ago, I recognized that the, there were some issues with the foster care system. Um, that needed to be addressed. We needed to come at it differently um, and support the kids, the families, and all involved a little differently than we had before. So they started this program where uh, they're requiring our uh, clinicians that are going into these homes to work with the, the foster care youth and their families and, and those, the foster care providers, and even the system as a whole um, that are providing clinicians that are evidence-based. You know, they have solid training behind them. They have solid experience with them. Um, and they can go in there for more than you would typically expect. And so for most of our therapeutic services, it's, you know, ranging from one to three hours a week, you know, whether that's a, you know, your 45-minute therapy session um, on up to in our community-based program, a more intense uh, case would typically take maybe three to four hours in a week with this is an intensive treatment of foster care program where um, I'll say expected, not necessarily, you know, allowed or whatever. We're expected to have about six hours of contact with the, the clients or their families in a week. And so that can include being able to, to work with that client directly. That can include working with the foster parents because they're obviously going through challenges to just being able to get to know this kiddo, getting to know how they can support them better. Um, it can be with their biological families and all that they went through in the transition of uh, a child being removed from the home and all that led up to that as there's obviously a, a story attached to any of those transitions. Um, as well as being able to coordinate better with case managers and child protection and all that, that are all involved and all have stake in this this client doing better and and moving towards health, um, but needing more support from a therapeutic sense to be be able to make that happen. Um, So the state set up a really good structure to be able to do so. And uh, we've been kind of thankful enough to be able to to have that opportunity to engage in that program as well over the last, um, like I said, five to 10 years or so.
0: Great. Give us some idea of what would lead a youth to have to be removed from their home.
1: Yeah, so typically what we see, is it's initiated by child protection because there was a report of you know, domestic abuse or safety issues that were involved um, or neglect issues that were there. Um, and there's a lack of that parent being able to, or that guardian being able to support that, that child because of their own mental health stuff or their own circumstances or what have you. Um, Once they're in the system with a child protection worker or a case manager, they can qualify for this program as they move into a a foster placement. So as long as they have a representative from um, case management, um, as they move into into a foster care situation, they can get the support.
0: Got you. And and so since our focus is really looking at how trauma affects foster youth, let's kind of get a better picture of what is considered trauma. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for
1: sure. I think for so long, I think we we focused primarily on um, just on the safety aspect of it, and we focused on um, traumatic events. We'll say you know they went through somebody passed away or somebody was abused or somebody was whatever, and those are certainly traumatic. But different people process those things differently, and so I think instead the focus is is on how we process these events that we go through, Um, because somebody you know might go through this, two people can go through the same events and one maybe won't go through trauma necessarily, they won't perceive it as trauma, um, whereas somebody else can be their whole life completely changed because of it. And so from my perspective, I think it is the fact that somebody goes through an event that is you know, potentially safety related, um, potentially just something that's outside of their control and, and it um, goes beyond their skills and abilities that they have to cope with it well. Um, and so their processing of it, I think is what really makes it a, a trauma for them. Um, is the biggest aspect of it from my side of it.
0: So looking at specific symptoms that might reflect someone being traumatized, what would that look like? Uh, It's
1: another one of those things, I think trauma is one of those things where it it can look so different for different people. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to the events and how we process it, I think the the display of these symptoms and and the, how it impacts functioning for each person can look so different. Um, I think you're you're typical of, of what you expect. Like by the letter, we'll say with with the DSM, is you know you're going to have flashbacks of the events, nightmares, um, difficulties processing cues that are you know that you're facing on a daily basis, or just you know memories of those things, um, mood disturbances. Those types of kind of more by the book are kind of black and white symptoms, but I think so often it can kind of uh, show itself as many other diagnoses, whether that's because the client has, you know, those mood disturbances and um, or anxiety because they're just so shook and uh, so nervous about kind of facing their day to day because of what they've been through and how they're processing that. Um, So I think each client uh, probably looks a little different in some regards, but it's our duty to obviously dig in and try to find out, okay where are those roots for this?
0: Of course. I don't think we can have a conversation about trauma and not bring up PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you share a little bit more about your feedback on PTSD?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think it's that, you know, PTSD is just, to put it simplistically, kind of that diagnosis that we use to try to encapsulate those patterns. Um, When those those changes in behavior or cognitions come up after we um, struggle to process an event, Um, PTSD is just that kind of uh, language that we can use to try to like put that label on there so we can kind of understand this is what's underneath it um, for other working professionals or whatever. I think for some of my clients, it's also been something where they've appreciated having having an answer to what it is, like what's going on um, at a client that I worked with that is in her 60s now um, that had never been diagnosed with PTSD, but it was very clearly as we worked through some of the symptoms and challenges that were there. It was very clear that that's what it was. And so we talked about it to some degree. And she came back the next session and she was just thankful. She said, I've had, you know, 10 different diagnoses over my life. um, And when we walk through it and actually talk through it, this is what it is underneath it, you know, to be able to put some sort of label or some kind of box around it, per se, as best we can.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly. I know I've worked with several of my own clients who, in, in, you know, first meeting them and getting to know them, had so many arrows pointed back to trauma in their life and having that conversation, they too would be like, Holy, wow. I didn't realize this is so trauma based in what I've been doing and what I've been experiencing. So again, I think there's so much of this misnomer and misunderstanding about trauma and how people will perceive it and not recognize that some people really have been traumatized and that's what's maybe leading a lot of their symptoms of of anxiety and depression, because as you kind of dig a little deeper, it might be more based in trauma and everything too. So excellent point. So how does trauma look with a foster youth then? So if we're going to look at really how does trauma affect foster youth? Is there specific key things you're looking at or you can tell with foster youth?
1: Yeah, I think it's a different... It is a different challenge, I think, to, to identify this with foster youth, because I think working with children in general, I mean, it's, you know, the stereotype is going to be that they're less uh, verbal about some of these things. Like if I'm working with an adult who is coming into therapy, they have some motivation. I mean, they're coming to my office, they've driven there, they're, you know, they have some insurance or financial gain or financial kind of investment in this. Um, whereas with a client, especially in our community-based program, There's a referral that comes from child protection or comes from uh, case management or or what have you. And so this child is not like signing up for it, not necessarily willing to to do it per se, but um, so I think being able to dig into that and to to, um, take the time to get to know their story, to understand what's behind it, to take the time to listen to what they're kind of putting out there, what their day-to-day looks like, to be able to identify what's underneath it, I think is an extra challenge. I think as far as that presentation kind of with your question, I think uh, it can look like so many different ways. Like we alluded to earlier, I think the, you know, some of those, some of the clients that are coming through that foster system that we're starting with are, you know, they're depressed and they're really withdrawn within their class, um, you know, environment, like at school or what have you, or they're not engaging well at home. Um, They're just kind of, I'm going to just stay in my room and uh, my mood is pretty flat or, you know, things like that. I think a common one that we also run into, and that has been a, a huge kind of course correction, I think, for a lot um, of clients within the field that I've seen over the last five to 10 years again, is um, the, the children that are acting out, the youth that are acting out. I think in the past, historically, it's been so easy to just say, okay, this is a oppositional defiance kind of case, or this is a, you know, whatever they whatever label they want to put on it, official or not. Um but a lot of times those kiddos, especially in our foster care um, system, there's some trauma underneath that, that's yes. to them, yes. you know, struggling to process, like being able to sit in a desk all day at school or to be able to follow basic direction at home or, you know, go through uh, basic interactions with siblings, friends, peers, whatever. Um, and so I think the importance, I think, can come down to how much Time and effort we put into trying to get that story underneath yeah. it, really dig up those roots a little bit, versus just accepting, okay, on the face, this is what it looks like. Looks like an anxiety case, or looks like an ODD case. Right. Um, there's more underneath that, um, especially with our foster system. Knowing that, like you said at the at the outset, um, the vast majority of of kiddos that are going through the foster system have have experienced uh, some sort of trauma. Yeah. Like you're probably not going to end up in the foster system without going through some sort of trauma. Um, And so being able to, to understand that going in, that there's, there's probably some trauma underneath here in some capacity and taking that time to really dig
0: into that a little bit. And that makes me think specifically with kids who might be diagnosed, or labeled as oppositional defined disorder is sometimes it can be frustrating working with youth with, with those struggles, we'll say, but really looking beyond that of like, what's happened to them for them to manifest a behavior. And I I think, you know, working, I think the key of what your program does, it's working with foster parents to help them understand, you know, this might be a kid who's seeming to be just so oppositional and and that foster parent might be getting really frustrated with them, but looking at it through the lens of of trauma and what's happened to to the youth. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been something that that has been a fantastic byproduct of this shift kind of towards recognizing trauma and and how that plays out because the schools and the the foster parents and so many different systems, I think, that we cross paths with as we're working with youth are recognizing the need for education in this area
0: um, and
1: wanting that. And so we've had schools Um, request clinicians to come in and do trainings, you know, whether it's a you know couple hours or a half day kind of thing um, or more uh, because people want to be trauma informed at this point, knowing that it's crucial, you know, to provide their services, whether that's school or whether that's case management support or whatever. Um, So uh, there's definitely that movement there to to try to be better informed with it. Um, Like you said, foster parents, I think are on that front line, you know, as you're dealing with kiddos when they come home and, and maybe they've held it together as best they can at school. And so there's typically some spillover to say the least, um, comes out a little sideways maybe once they get home. And so being able to help those foster parents, like you said, just better understand what's going on for them and, and that second step of how do we support them um, through that. So we help them process it differently um, and then also support them so that they have the space to be able to do so.
0: And I would think in in helping foster parents come from more of a trauma-informed perspective, you're also keeping kids from jumping around home to home to home, I'm guessing. Is that fair to say?
1: is i think that's one of the goals that the state kind of moved in this direction was because they wanted to reduce the multiple placements portion Mm -hmm. because we have that initial trauma as they come into a foster system or that leads to them coming into the system but then you think about you know especially as a child with the skills and abilities that come with that that developmental level okay i'm going to move to a different home different you know parents per se or different guardians you know could be you know after a few weeks it could be after a few months it could be longer depending on the placement yeah. um, expectations and so just the the re-traumatization that comes with moving from place to place and the multiple multiple placements and so they're seeing at this point you know there's data that's that's coming out that's showing that we're reducing those multiple placements which is one of those kind of overarching goals of the program uh, from yeah. a, a outside perspective versus, you know, focusing obviously on the the client uh, moving towards health and the family moving towards health. Um, We're reducing that through this kind of program and this kind of lens. It's huge. Yeah. Massive. Yeah, I would agree.
0: I like how you're emphasizing. I don't think people really recognize this if they're not all too familiar with foster youth. When it comes to that initial being removed from the home, that in and of itself is traumatizing. You know, Not only are they navigating trauma that's happened to them and the reasons why they're being removed, abuse, neglect. However, the actual removal from the home itself is very traumatizing. You know, you know For better or for worse, if the home wasn't the best for them, it's still their perception of their home and being really literally uprooted to a new home, it's just so traumatizing. So I really liked how you're emphasizing that, yeah, you know? Yeah, for and sure. Ha- probably also helping your foster parents understand that as well. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, yeah. Recognizing that it's it's not a clean process. Right. You know, they're not coming in like in a vacuum. There's, there's lots attached to them, um, like there would be for all of us going through transitions like that. Very
0: true. It also makes me think on the other end of, and I'm going to put it out there for some foster parents how it might be traumatizing for them, even maybe becoming more familiar with the stories of the youth in their home and what's happened to them. They would think maybe it'd be a byproduct with some vicarious trauma going on. You're learning to care for this child very deeply, deeply, and maybe learning what's happened to them could be very upsetting for the foster parents as well. And and so even if the Biological parents are working on a, a plan to have the youth come back home. That could be very difficult for the foster parents. Then, too, to have the maybe the youth go back to their biological home. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, or that process? Yeah,
1: yeah I think you're hitting on the complexity of this this uh, kind of arrangement or these dynamics that are involved with the foster system, because there are just so many different layers, and everybody brings their own. Kind of perceptions and thereby probably their own struggles that are attached to those perceptions. Um, 100%. Though I think no matter where that child goes, whether it is like you said back to the bio system after you know a lot of work and support and changes that need to be made, um, or staying in the foster system or moving towards an adoption,
0: yeah. you know,
1: at some point in that that kind of stream, um, there's going to be complications. There's going to be transitions that need to be navigated with the support of um of somebody that of a therapist of you know the whole system to be honest it, it goes beyond the therapist um it is there's nothing simple about it is what it feels right. like so to be able to have the support to be able to have the structure put in place um to support these the whole system within this or the you know the family and those around them i think it's just a, a fantastic opportunity that we have
0: for sure Jeff, is there any other takeaway or highlights you'd like to share about how trauma affects uh, foster use?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you, you did a great job in kind of walking through the questions and laying stuff out. So I think the biggest thing for me is just uh, emphasizing the importance of a proper diagnosis as we're doing this. That takes the um, being patient, I think, in digging that up, um, not just accepting the, the face value. And I think it's it's hard in our roles because a lot of times that that initial assessment is you know uh, 45 to 60 minutes and that's not the only thing we need to do during that time um and so it's you know being able to take that time to to dig in as best you can um, to find that right diagnosis because i think as we have that right diagnosis others will have that right diagnosis as needed or as appropriate um, and then that next step of that is we can better determine how do we support them how do we provide services and the intensity of services to be honest that are appropriate for what's underneath here, not just taking it as, okay, there's a uh, oppositional defiance um, child here, or a, you know, a child that's struggling with anxiety or, you know, things like that. Mm. uh, Because I think our our approach is going to be vastly different if we just look at that symptom versus recognizing that there's some deeper and bigger roots underneath this likely. So really being patient in that and making sure that you're, you're coming at it from the right angle, I think is crucial.
0: Yeah, for sure. Jeff, I want to thank you for the the work you do in working with foster youth and foster parents, as well as your program. Sounds like it's amazing and and also doing some really critical work and, and especially in being able to keep foster youth from jumping from home to home to home, which is such a, we know, just such a serious problem within foster care too. So thank you again for sharing all this amazing information. And, you know, of course, I know the work of foster parents It's very difficult, but I'm sure you'd like to encourage people to maybe consider becoming foster parents.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's such a need that's there. And I think especially with proper supports or the the supports that are allowed to us, um, man, I think I can't think of a better way to do it or a more rewarding kind of opportunity that they can have to not just change one person's life, but to change that system's life. Um, They play a huge role in that. So that's great. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much, Nikki. I appreciate it.